0: Next morning he emailed back said he would love to meet and we met, he wrote the first check and right after that the same didn't day know that. I just like, emailed everyone <laughs> that I know who might invest and, and, and you got back.
1: your first check from Chamat so everyone and though. like I couldn't
0: raise a single dollar like for 2 years and like uh, Jamat wrote the first check and in 2 weeks I was oversubscribed over.
1: Today's guest is such a star, you guys. I'm so excited for y'all to hear his story, and what a great way to wrap up the year. Bashar is from a small village in Turkey. He made his way to Silicon Valley, where he earned a Stanford MBA and went through Y Combinator with friends. Together, they built an education technology app with a mission that's really dear to Bashar to provide students with access to education via one-on-one tutoring that's both affordable and accessible, and they're just getting started. Learn about how Bashar got top Silicon Valley investors to fund his company, what routines have been helpful for him as a founder, as well as my favorite, how he views failure and success. Enjoy.
0: Hi, Jen. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm really happy to see you. Thanks for coming and making the time. Of
0: course. Always a pleasure.
1: And like Machen said, I love the California flag behind you. Oh, yeah. I carry it everywhere.
0: India, Istanbul, wherever I go.
1: I love it. I love it. When was the last time you visited the Bay
0: Area? Yeah. Actually, it was two months ago. Actually, yeah, 45 days ago, but it was just for fun. Um, yeah. Because I feel like
1: you're in the Bay Area in New York City quite a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. actually, for work, I spent like almost half of the year last year in the United States, mostly New York, but I spent a few months in, uh, in California too. Awesome.
1: Well, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast, Bashar. I'm excited to learn about Kunduz, and I love that it means beaver. So like busy beaver, curious beaver. And you guys are sharing high quality education to millions of kids. So I grew up in Sierra Leone and I love this mission. Like we didn't have equal access to education. And I love what you guys are doing. You're currently in India and Turkey and other countries. And what's really cool is you provide answers in 15 minutes, 24 seven access to tutors, and the fee is affordable. It's just $9 per month for unlimited access to these tutors. So excited to dive into that. But if you'll let me, I'd love to start a little earlier in your journey and talk about where we met. So we met at Stanford Business School as international students, and maybe we can start with how you got into Stanford. What was key to your journey in getting in?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, there is a more. Uh, of course, like a romantic story behind it, but like whoever like asked that question, most of the time they always look for like more technicalities, like what you focused on GMAT and like the GPA stuff. And that part of the technicalities is pretty important. I think my case is pretty insightful for people uh, who are like thinking about it because I wasn't coming from a typical background on papers. Uh, My GPA was like pretty much bad like uh, you remember in our first day they were just like giving us this orientation and just like to a part of it was like about getting to getting to know your class right like who did what etc what is like the gpa average range uh, gmat averages and ranges etc i realized at that point that uh, my gpa was the lowest in that range <laughs> but it was how low it was and like anywhere you see online like for that gpa like nobody just gives like a good outlook about it the potential about it and basically, I, I, like, applied to many schools, but what I knew at the time was that if my GPA was that bad, I should figure out GPA, a GMAT part, and uh, I, I pretty much, like, spent a lot of time uh, studying GMAT to be able to compensate of, like, mm-hmm. four years of mediocre study, and <laughs> that part, like, I think one thing that gives hope to, like, people that I talk most of the time is that. If you do well in GMAT, there's always a chance because most of the schools, if they like you as a person, your resume, your story, whatever, uh, they want to be convinced that you can intellectually and analytically survive their curriculum. And even if your GPA doesn't prove that, GMAT can give you a lot of chance to show them that you can. So I think, yeah, one takeaway would be never lose hope just because you had a terrible GPA. GMAT can always give you an opportunity to show yourself, prove yourself that you're capable of like going through the program. And this part was like pretty much the technical part that was different for me. And uh, the other parts most of the time, uh, the story part, resume part, essays, whatever you want to call it. I think uh, GSP is taking that part quite seriously. And But I think I just like took it to a little bit like to an extreme. And I started like preparing essays, just like reading this question, just like writing my own versions, et cetera, pretty early. And I was convinced about like how my story was on paper so much that like I decided to just act on it before MBA. I was like a pretty standard like MBA candidate, studied engineering, got into consulting, did two years of consulting. And at the time I was pretty much convinced that I was going to focus on education post MBA. Uh, but as I just researched more about things, like did more uh, introspection. I realized that I want to act now and I want to just try things as much as possible before MBA too. and I postponed my MBA plans for another year to be able to give myself more room about like what I can do and what I can like learn before going, getting into MBA. And I did like one and a half years of uh, portfolio strategy for a conglomerate in Turkey who was thinking about investing in education it was like pretty lucky because I haven't seen such position ever since in Turkey. Like at that point in time, there was a conglomerate who decided to invest in education. And at the same time I was like exploring like different opportunities and that was pretty lucky on my end. But I, I, I took that and like, I postponed my, postponed my MBA plans for, for another year. And once I got my like acceptance, I quit that and started uh, working on an idea that ended up being Kündus, and you may, I remember that, like, I I already started Kunduz at a very like, like, uh, like level when I, when I got into uh, GSP. So, but I think one thing I love sharing with people, like, especially international students, is that just, I've seen a lot of like essays talking about, like, my country has gone through this economic recession in the past, it severely affected my Family, that's why I want to get into MBA and like build a fintech startup. I know all of these are like real and nobody lies about them, but like you see them all these like consulting background people are just like writing the same things over and over, just probably overnight. I think just like taking these questions seriously and just reflect on them, even act on them, regardless of MBA, it helps a lot. First, with your chances, uh, with your chances in these schools, and second, To be honest, like beyond GSP, I think I saved three years in my whole entrepreneurial experience by like exploring and discovering that. And I think, yeah, these questions are asked. I don't know for what reasons, but like definitely one of the reasons is that just like help you figure out what you want to do in life and just like start taking action, maybe post MBA, maybe during MBA, but why not do them in start doing them uh, pre-MBA?
1: Yeah. For me, one of the most important aspects of the whole experience, business school experience, were the people we met and getting to learn from each other's experiences. And so I'm so grateful that you are a classmate and it's just a huge example of why just the GPA on its own isn't a good measure of a human being. And I think you've taught me a ton. We've talked about your company in the past and what fundraising is like, et cetera. And it's been look at the impact you're having. Um, And so what a beautiful journey and experience and example. So I do remember, actually, in one of the halls, this was called Highland at the time, now it's called JMAC, we were sitting and you were telling me a little bit in the early days about Kunduz. So when did you have this aha moment of you want to build Kunduz? How did this all come about? What, what was that idea sparked from?
0: I took something a little too seriously at the time. Like I, was, <laughs> uh, I was reading Lean Startup and yeah. I did the book and... I was, like, basically just applying, like, to the extreme, every part of it. And, like, like I started talking to users and, like, the potential users target audience. And from day one, I knew that my focus was all about uh, K-12 and, like, providing social mobility through the K-12 education. So I knew that through education technologies, it is more possible in, like, high school and middle school. And I was, like, constantly speaking to students at a point where, like, I was literally, like, checking out their phones about like how they use different apps for educational purposes. Like WhatsApp, I I see like a lot of them use WhatsApp uh, for having study groups in a way, just like asking uh, each other the questions they get stuck with and realizing that almost all students had these groups, but none of them were functional because everybody was like first focusing on their own studies or just like whatever they focus on. And second, none of them are experts, none of them are teachers. And, Mm I basically started with like offering them from now on, I'll be answering your questions. And when it's time, I realized <laughs> that I was a little too old to be able to help them. I went to my own like uh, undergrad, uh, like my college and just like, like starts like uh, giving flyers Asking. to students in the freshman yeah. dormitory saying that if you still feel hard about just like uh, practicing these like, uh, university entrance exam questions, uh, you can get paid by just sold them each of them now. And then I, put together a WhatsApp system where like, I was getting questions from random numbers and I had like different WhatsApp groups um, that consist of like students, college students were interested in and solving questions in different courses. And I was basically the app, my WhatsApp account was the app, the first uh, MEP. And i sold more than like a few thousand questions in the first month. And then just my co-founders, and uh, got excited about it too. They joined me and like we built the first version. I think by the time we started GSP, there was the first version you know, on the App Store and like we were just basically an app. Uh, but I basically just took that like whole uh, lean startup approach a little too seriously and <laughs> just ended up finding a good opportunity at the first trial. A lot of times, yeah. like I see a lot of entrepreneurs trying different things and not working out. Luckily, I think the part that I was the most the most likely was like basically finding it in the first time. But at the same time, I was not risk-averse at all because I tried it with no cost. It was basically my uh, WhatsApp account. So that gave me a lot of uh, liberty to just try things and just not be afraid of like how much it costs, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. The other thing I hear too loud and clear is you had a ton of demand for this version one of your product. You had, Mm -hmm. I think you said it was thousands of, Requests for help with homework from students so much so that you alone couldn't even handle that, and you needed to mm-hmm. go ask others to get involved. And I think that's a really strong signal too from the market that hey, you actually have something here. Um, and then it sounds like you were able to get your co-founders involved to build a first MVP, load that on the app store, and then come to business school and, and build. I know this is a huge opportunity to be able to build alongside business school. What was that like for you? Do you feel like mm-hmm. you were able to take more from classes and building Kunduz in parallel?
0: I think that uh, there is both. Like, there were courses that I took most out of the experience because uh, Kunduz was my lab or like my yeah. playground. But there were like a lot of moments where I had to deal with things and like I was missing the readings and the homeworks. I wasn't the best teammate in the like group <laughs> projects, etc. There were those times too. And yeah, I mean, I was also doing the uh, joint degree with that school at the same right. time, too. so I was mostly uh, compromising the sleep part of my life. But I would say uh, it definitely helped not only the courses and the school itself, but at the same time, just seeing all these people from the startup ecosystem uh, and the Silicon Valley and Stanford was like basically, and still is basically considered the heart of it. And being able to build and grow that at the epicenter of it as a Turkish entrepreneur was a Mm -hmm. huge chance. So I think it's both like it goes both with the the class itself and also like the whole experience, the people I get to know, I get to meet and get connected.
1: Totally. Did you do your first fundraise while at school or after oh, yeah. you entered YC? Yeah, yeah. While at school, what was that like?
0: Uh, it was interesting because for the first one year and a half, uh, in a very like stupid way, I was assuming that no one would be interested in like investing in a Turkish startup, EdTech startup in Silicon Valley. So I wasn't proactively going after investors. And I was also expecting to have this like meaningful growth and scale to have. And, but there was one moment, uh, I remember vividly. You, you also remember it because it was an interesting day at the (laughs) JSP. You remember the view from the top of Shamat, right? Yes. It ended up being like a huge thing, not only at Stanford, but like in Silicon Valley in the whole tech space. Mm -hmm. And a day before that, I was having a minor crisis by myself about, uh, like self-questioning what we are doing, whether this social entrepreneurship is like a, a little bit of wishful thinking okay. and whether should I, I should just focus more on a uh, more commercial and only for profit uh, path or just like whether this is like the right way to approach edtech, tech, et cetera, et cetera. Because at the time, I was not able to find a, like a fundraiser, like, like investor at all. I raised little, I couldn't raise a single dollar at the time. And mm. then I, I had this uh, talk, like, the view from the top and Shamat was like, basically, he mentioned a lot of things, but the part that I was looking for was like, basically how he sees investing and what he expects out of investing these companies and, and how the, how entrepreneurship and tech space can change the world for better. And, and I was like, finally, I felt like I found someone who exactly felt like I do, and this person was on the other side of the table. And I was like, okay, at least there are investors who think like me uh, in nice. the ecosystem, in the space, especially on the other side of the table. And it was like the, this part of the speech was exactly what I needed for my own perseverance at the time, because I, was, I started to really question it. And I, it was a Friday afternoon, the talk. And I remember just being in my room, like 10 or 11 p.m. Friday night, decided to email him. Found his email somewhere, essentially, and just basically thank you him for, for the inspiration. And next morning, he emailed back, he said he would love to meet, and we met, he wrote the first check, and right after that, the I same didn't day, know that. I just like, emailed everyone that I know who might invest. And, and you got your
1: it. first check from Shamat so everyone's here. and <laughs> like, I
0: couldn't raise a single dollar like for two years, and like uh, tried to wrote the first check, and in two weeks, I was oversubscribed already. <laughs> and that was like a beautiful, typical, a typical right. Stanford story.
1: That is awesome. So, so cool. So many people can resonate to this, right? I feel like every oh, yeah. entrepreneur, you're not an entrepreneur if you haven't questioned whether or not you, your idea is worthless and have felt so unseen that you mm. need to take a step back. So what a beautiful story. What was your meeting with Chamath like? Was he asking you questions about the product? Or was it more of you both felt seen in the way you think about the world and social business? Mm. I mean,
0: there are like three parts and like it was the same, similar with most of the investors that uh, joined us ever since. They were always looking, and that includes Shama, three things. Like the growth tells something. They don't know anything about Turkey, of course, but the growth itself was telling the story. And they, of course, look at the uh, the founders and how excited they are about the space or patient about the space and like uh how relevant their background is and the the third one is in our case uh, is like is it really like a mission driven and like how it can impact the future or like the students or like the education space itself i think uh he was like like checking each of these like but like delving into the details a little bit more especially to be able to understand space itself so i think uh yeah the in terms of like what he looks for it was pretty similar, similar to the other investors, but he was a little bit more curious about like the details of it and like what it looks like in Turkey.
1: And at this point, what was your team size, revenue, number of uh, students on the platform?
0: Uh, I think we were having a 20, $25,000 MRR. I okay. that. Uh, it was like growing very quickly. A few months after that, we got into YC with that growth. And amazing. what was the other question? The I was just going
1: to, and then your yeah. team size, was just the co-founders, the three of you at this point? Did you have three more people? Three of us,
0: all part-time. I was the most full time <laughs> person as like, yeah. like someone and who was like MBA, Yeah, <laughs> and you're yeah, like double MBA, MED. And we like five part-time college students who were like, who started as like a tutor in our platform, got a little bit more interested in like the entrepreneurial space and became part of the team, but they were all part-time. So this was your jump start,
1: and then- sounds like after this, you applied to, you decided to apply to YC.
0: Yeah.
1: Why, why did you make that decision? What was that journey like?
0: I mean, uh, when you try to be an entrepreneur outside Silicon Valley, uh, I think you are missing a good mentor and the worst is that there are a lot of people who are like acting like their mentor, but you see that they, uh, guide you towards to the completely wrong directions. And I think YC was important for us because at a global level, we were guided by the, the best mentors that you could think of. And we, we needed that, we needed that heavily. And it, it was our first startup. And we like Stanford taught me things about entrepreneurship, but I think even at Stanford, you would see different entrepreneurship classes. They were teaching a different school of thoughts, right? And, but YC has a very committed like, way uh, in mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. And I think just as three co-founders, just like going through that education helped us speak the same language and not be uh, misled by wrong information or like wrong guidance, whether in the ecosystem in Turkey or like whatever we read online. I think that was a pretty good school as founders to uh, go through. Uh, and the second part is, We always want to do something global, but we weren't sure at first. And seeing how dysfunctional the local ecosystem here is, I think we needed someone who can just like, who can be a gateway uh, for us. And YC was for us at the time was the best uh, for that. And also like as a no-name entrepreneurs, yes, Stanford helped a lot with the name, but at the same time, uh, putting the YC stamp on Kunduz helped us in so many ways including like expanding to India, recruiting people there, etc. In every level, YC Brand House has helped us in the best way possible.
1: Sounds like with YC, you were able to expand to India. And maybe at the beginning, you started about 25,000 monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. And then what was it like at the end of YC? What was the growth that you were able to achieve? And well, I hear stories of founders being able to, YC pushing them and challenging them more than they thought they could challenge themselves is why I'm asking
0: yeah, that's a good question. For ed tech companies or education companies, especially if you are part of the summer cohort, there is no way you can show growth because right. it's off season out of school. Yeah, yeah. We were like we knew how to prepare ourselves for the next school year, but it was impossible for us to be able to show growth month by month by month. But at the same time, our uh, revenue at the time was already at a very good level, so we haven't felt the pressure in terms of like. Mm giving a good picture about Kunduz because it was in a good uh, place already. So, But we were like mostly focusing on getting ourselves prepared to the new school year and also learning this like way of entrepreneurship, applying them every day. I think we were lucky just because we had a revenue traction that we could show from the past school year. But for a lot of uh, new ad tech startups, it's, it, it is more difficult, especially if you join the uh, summer cohort. And if you are like focusing on k-12
1: that makes sense before we continue with kunduz's journey i want to ask do you think a master's in education is that something you would recommend someone that's trying to build an ed tech startup get um i wouldn't or what what were the critical pieces that you got from your master's in education
0: i don't think anyone needs any masters for building anything like it goes with like maybe like in healthcare like there are certain parts that are crucial but You Can learn anything online or with your own research or by doing things now, and yeah, I wouldn't highly recommend it, but I loved it because it gave me the background of this whole theory and like Mm -hmm. gave me the confidence about what we do, gave gave us a context about what Kunduz envisions and what it represents, etc. etc. I think uh, intellectually it was extremely satisfying, and at the same time, it like at every level, it always helped me. Uh, put things in context, and it, yeah, it gave me the confidence. But I would definitely not like advise someone to first do a master's oh. education before starting an a tech startup.
1: That's useful. So, where is Kunduz today? What what's your team size now? Mm-hmm. What can you share about locations, product, revenue, operational metrics?
0: Sure, so, yeah, right now uh, we are above 100 people, around 100 people at least, <laughs> and we basically started with um, like a product that is like helping students with with the questions they get stuck with. And we became a leader in that space. Uh, We basically defined the category itself in Turkey. And now uh, in Turkey, when you look at the whole space, you see that the top five percentile of of students, majority of them use uh, use Kunduz, Uh, more than half of them use Kunduz. Uh, Household name. Yeah, I mean, in Q&A, That's I, I, awesome. I can confidently say that. But at the same time, as like an impact-driven person uh, or people as founders, now we start mm-hmm. to be obsessed about this, uh, the remaining part of the bell curve, like the 95% part. Because to be honest, or just to give ourselves a feedback, we've started from a point where we have built something where uh, that resonated with our own uh, education experience we were like the nerds, and just like very hardworking students at the time and the things that we heard from students made a lot of sense for us and we focused on making it perfect and now seeing that the top five percentile uses it is just like making us proud but at the same time just like pushing us towards like okay what about like other students what we can do about them and what they look for what they're looking for because if you think about the typical studying journey let's say you start with the need of improving your grades, let's say, and then you just start watching some videos or just read the material itself and to be able to uh, have a better understanding about the subject matter. And then, especially in uh, science, and you start practicing to just make that whole learning experience and your knowledge deeper to be able to, uh, to a point where like, you apply it to the real problems. And then as you practice, you realize that uh, you get stuck at certain points and you care about them and... You have this urge to just get a help about it. That last part is like getting to that level is the perseverance of the top 5%. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of students that are giving up uh, in every part of these phases that I mentioned. And now we are just for the next school year, we are preparing and designing like products that could uh, address the the issues and problems the students have in the meat of the bell curve, let's call it, as in the classroom. And how we can help them. And a lot of times what we hear is students want to sit on their desk and study, but they don't know what to study or they don't have the high confidence in like where to start. And there are a lot of contents online, but giving that content uh, with the right guidance, uh, that is missing. And now we are expanding our product with that uh, whole insight and hoping to be able to get to the level where we can talk about we are... Like used by the half of the all students in Turkey and hopefully in other countries too. So this is the this is where we are in Turkey as a scale, as a mindset, where we are and where we wanna uh, be headed to. Uh, globally, what we know is our QA and uh, product and operations and technology. It's all top tier compared to the similar uh, services globally, and that gave us the confidence to found an office in. India and expand to the United States too. And now we know that we give the best best service with the best product because we are unlimited, we uh, give uh, give it at the uh, best price, and we made it an interactive experience where students and tutors can chat. And that's why we are differentiating from like a typical solutions manual where students just look at the answer. And we know that uh, we can grow it, but we will be... Sticking to the core product that we have, the QA globally for a while, once we feel like uh, we get to the levels that we are in Turkey right now in uh, global markets, to, in English-speaking markets, to, then we can start thinking about what other products we can add globally to. But globally, our like focus right now is to be able to scale what we are good at, at the core.
1: Absolutely. I know for sure that I learn better when I'm interacting and talking through problems as opposed to just only exclusively reading or being talked at. And so I can see why this is working. And it comes back to the mission, right? When you talk about you're in 5% of households in Turkey and you want to expand to the other 95%. You really care about the mission in bringing this to students who don't have access. So excited for you guys to push forward there. If you think about your journey from starting to where you are today of building Kundos together with your co-founders, What would you say your biggest challenge or challenges have been that you've had to overcome and how did you push through those, power
0: through those? Hmm. Um, I think there are challenges uh, at every level because I remember this like chart that we were like shown in the first or second week of YC. It shows the growth of Facebook. And when we think about uh, growth of Facebook, we always see this like, Big, uh, Shut like, up. like a exponential curve, maker, right? Uh, crazy one. But if you look at it, like in parts, you see S curves in different parts and mm. what they show, uh, as like timeline is that first they were in colleges, then they expand beyond colleges then, and they expand globally by just like building a product where like the users itself can just like include their own language. And then the mobile era comes in, et cetera, et cetera. And they do the acquisitions. And the sole purpose of showing that is you're not going to be able to grow like in the same way you were growing a year ago. That those methods are going to be a part of your growth, but you're going to have to keep putting different things. Sometimes it is like doing things better. Sometimes adding a whole new tool to be able to grow. Sometimes adding a whole new distribution channel and a new product, et cetera. And I think... And that resonated with us and with our own journey because, and also if you think about it, we always go by school years and every school year comes with a surprise. And <laughs> one school year, like things weren't like going as exciting and all of a sudden uh, this COVID thing happened and just like, right. we were like, like, we didn't even have to do anything. Things just changed completely for the whole edtech space. And, but the good thing was that like we were prepared operationally and like technologically at the time and. And that put us in a whole different scale. And ever since we are just like seeing uh, new opportunities to be able to keep the pace at the same level. And with the COVID, for example, all the stakeholders in the education system were not very fond of technology, use of technology. But with COVID, they started to acknowledge it. And now we had a lot of partner schools and learning centers. Even the biggest cor- corporations in Turkey offers kundus as a perk to their employees, because a lot of their employees have kids who go to middle school and high school. And these have become whole, like new distribution channels for us. And, and Kunduz all of a sudden has become half B2B, half B2C company. We are still b 2 b but we are like partnering with a lot of different corporations now in different personas.
1: Yeah.
0: And each of these opportunities has had a very catastrophic few months before that. Right. And in those moments, I think uh, I always remind myself that I'm a lucky person because I was told that way by my classmates in college. Some of my classmates were saying that, like, give me Bashar's luck in life. So, and like, <laughs> and I, I was kind of finding it... All after- right.
1: I feel like Bashar works very hard. He makes his own luck. So I'm just telling you <laughs> your classmates that it's yeah, not yeah, just all is. happening to you.
0: <laughs> That's pretty much like what I, like that was my revelation because I took it in the wrong way for a while because I found it unfair. But after a while, I realized that yes, because I make my own luck, like, I try things. I've been mean, like practice socially. I've been doing like weird things that other people wouldn't be doing. And I would be doing like exploring things that other people would find nonsense and <laughs> eight out of ten they were nonsense <laughs> eight out of yeah nine, but like, two out
1: of ten they were amazing
0: <laughs> yeah i mean those two out of tens are just like giving me the best chances in life and like basically whatever we do whatever like we have on the table in the startup journey we are always digging for these two you know and mm-hmm. if you try five things you're gonna end up finding one if you try ten things you're gonna end up having like finding two uh, and those two things so i think Opening my laptop, I always look at my screen just like thinking that I'm today starting a whole new day just trying to make my own luck.
1: I love it. I was going to ask you, what do you think is the key to your success on the flip side? But I feel like you started to answer it. So starting with trying things, not being afraid to fail because of the 10 things you try, two will succeed.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Do any other things come to mind?
0: I think it pretty much explains my mindset. I'm not sure if you remember it like, because my name is phonetically similar, my but, name and last yeah. name. The, the mean, I was asked about the meaning of it, and in Turkey, most of the time the names has like a specific meanings. and mine is basically succeed, the first name and the last name means successful. So people <laughs> mostly <people laughs> think that like it is super <laughs> unfair <laughs> to me. And most of my life, I haven't thought about that because like I was raised in a family where I was like always, push for trying to then just be okay with like failure i remember uh, going to this chess tournament at the age of eight and literally had not like i couldn't win one game out of seven and the next year i went and i was like the the i got the first uh, uh rank in the whole province at my age group and I, and from that point on like chess has become a uh, huge part of my life for the next five years and yeah if i had been like obsessed with uh, the, the meaning of success or whatever, I would have left uh, chess the first year. But I think I'm pretty much comfortable with, with the, the notion of failure and success. I think it's more about being opportunistic and making your own luck.
1: I love it. And then Bashar, what are the, your favorite things about what you do in your day-to-day? And what are some of the things that are harder for you today?
0: Especially compared to how I live life uh, uh, at GSB, uh i feel lucky that i put certain routines and habits in my life i made peace with sleeping eight hours a day i was like awful, uh, feeling formal just because i lost eight hours in a, in a day uh, but i realized <laughs> that it, it gives me the energy and the creativity and the everything you, you need during the, the the remaining 16 hours and i started like building this habit of like at least having like breathing exercises even if you don't do like a full meditation I at least just try to give myself like five to 10 minutes every day. Uh, I started like working out after so many years, not at a a very committed way, but just like at least like 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. I think putting these in uh, routines was the biggest success in my life in the past few years because it gave me a lot of energy and like perseverance in those hard moments. And I think, yeah, I I think Marcin uh, has taught me that uh, first very randomly, very like, uh, casually at GSV like he was very frustrated, like, or like tired, uh, leaving library and we're just like chit chatting. And like, he mentioned that, like, he had to deal with like something and like, what was that saying? Like ate the frog first or ate the frog, eat the, frog. Yeah. Eat
1: the frog. in the morning, yeah, the hardest yeah. task
0: first. Yeah. He's trying to just like practice that, but like, he's not enjoying it, but like he's doing it. And like, for me, just <laughs> building those routines was so hard, but it seemed like I was always reminding myself, like eating that frog is like crucial. Yeah. And like every time I reminded myself, like Martin's face was like, literally just like echoing <laughs> in my mind Well, so marching. Thank you for uh, that teaching. It helped me hugely in life.
1: Honey, you want to come on and say, you're welcome. <laughs> he's smiling next to me. It's okay.
0: He just, like he's <laughs> shy
1: of <laughs> being in the video. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I'm hearing, even if we go back to su- succeed, successful of Bashar Basharan mm-hmm. and, and just how you were raised. I think to me, I'm hearing a lot of just not taking failure personally, yeah. being excited to try new things, and some of them will work out, some of them won't. Just having some belief in yourself that you will do something well, and removing some of this pressure. I think we ha- we all put so much pressure on ourselves, and sometimes just releasing the pressure is so much healthier for us. And then taking care of yourself, like making sure you're sleeping well. It's so funny because I talk to so many people, and we like so many relate with feeling bad about sleeping in, myself included. And I've just embraced the fact that I also love getting eight hours. I feel so much more productive when I do. And I also really enjoy exercising. I think it just makes me a much better, more productive version of myself. So that's wonderful to hear. I wanted to end on this note, Bashar. What in education are you excited about looking forward, maybe 10 years away? And I wanna actually ask you a question because I am so curious whether we will have universities. Um, in the sense of universities and and tertiary education is becoming so expensive and is it actually worth it? And I know there are debates in the ed tech space of whether or not that will, like, we will see maybe the top 10% of universities stay and the rest maybe convert into vocational training. I'm curious what your take on that is and what you're excited in the education space moving forward.
0: I mostly agree with the, the, the things that you mentioned, especially about there are certain schools who have a program that gives more than what they teach. And, and the top 10% especially. And those are an important part of the college education too. But at the same time, there's a this big industry that gets benefit out of this notion of college without providing what this top 10% provides. So I think that is definitely changing. Uh, but and in terms of what we have been seeing as alternatives uh, to college education, I think that's in the... the in the early early ages of what's going to happen in the future the the whole process right now just like there are a lot of promising startups and companies just like embracing uh, that whole uh, mission they are trying things they are learning things some of sometimes their outcomes are not as they promised or as they hoped but what i've been seeing is they've been trying new ways and new things to be able to make it better i think that whole ecosystem is going to keep experimenting until it brings a very convincing alternative not only for the, the students but also for the economy because as much as what student is willing to uh, invest uh, their time in, it's also about whether the industry or the economy is happy with the outcomes of those, educa- those uh, that education too. Um, I think that is going to, the, the outcomes of that is going to come a little bit behind because people are graduating from, from these programs and the, the companies who are hiring from these programs are just like Having some like ideas about, or like uh, whether they, they decide whether they are content about like what they find, etc. I think the best part of that is I think there's a good feedback ecosystem, feedback mechanism between uh, the, these startups and the industry, and uh, I think for the first time there are some institutions which are startups who are listening to industry in a more dynamic way, and I think that is going to make the improvements much faster than what uh, traditional universities are adapting themselves to. Uh, I don't think we are going to make a, see a big change very fast. But if things go this way, I think the trend is going to continue.
1: Very cool. And what are you excited for in EdTech?
0: I think the education is all, like it can mean so many things. and um, But what I uh, put in my whole life mission is the social mobility part of it. And you can fully realize your potential and your dreams if like educational resources provided at an early age for you. And it it sounds super simple, but to me, it's magical, you know, just like every life can be changed if the resources are provided in the right place and to the right, like to to the people. And it's actually what Kundu is about to, uh, and we're trying to make that whole K-12 experience uh, personalized or effective more much more effective at a price that everyone yeah. can afford and I think that's also the reason I'm excited about it is like uh, my whole my own story too because yeah I haven't mm-hmm. come from a disadvantageous background but I came from a small town where like my whole lineage in the past 200 years haven't left like the same town mm-hmm. like for 200 years, a town that I love but What I was taught by my family or like my surrounding was that education was the only way to just go beyond that town and just like meet anyone you want, live anywhere you want, live in the way you want, whatever you can think of. And it can be like for some people, education means like changing a city or just like a specific school culture, sometimes only about education. For some Mm -hmm. people, it's the way you touch the world, impact the world or like type of people that you want to be surrounded by. And... And I think it's the same, it was the same case for a lot of people, or like almost everyone in my high school and college. So coming with that excitement and story, and just finding people around me in the same way in high school and college, just confirmed that education can change things for people. Uh, one research I'm obsessed with in education spaces, uh, this research is done by one called Bloom. Uh, a lot of people like who are in the, the space knows him from like different things that he did. And among his many, many findings and just like theories, like one of them is like the most striking for us. And he, what he tried, I think it was in 1984, uh, he, uh, his research was basically say, showing that an average student, if you pick an average student, the 50th percentile student and give them a one-on-one tutoring and that one-on-one tutoring can put that average student in the top two percentile. That's a drastic mm-hmm. change, and like statistically, it is like two sigma. That's why he called it two sigma problem. But the, the, I think the best part of that is not the two sigma part. The fact that he called it a problem because he saw that one-on-one tutoring can create a much better impact in education. But there is no like country in the in the world who can afford that, who can provide that can provide like a one-on-one tutoring to every student in that country. that That's impossible. And I think 40 years after that, almost 40 years after that, uh, what I love or what we love uh, seeing is that he defined it very rightfully, defined it as a problem, but there have been so many inflection points in technology that now we can see it as an opportunity. Like how we can uh, use technologies like AI or like, use of platforms in a way that we can make that whole one-on-one learning experience and automate it in certain ways, but still connect them to tutors when needed for the emotional elements of it. I think that's the real opportunity, especially in K-12, and what I'm most excited about.
1: Bashar, my dad was one of seven children. He's the only one to get educated, and similarly, he's the only one who left the small village where generations of his family were living in so i very very much agree with what you're saying and how what a cool response so i'll just say i'm excited for kundos to be more accessible around the world and for more kids who currently don't have access to individualized teaching and training and need more help to be able to get it this was wonderful you i'm such a big fan of what you're building thank you so much for coming and i can't wait to have you again soon
0: yeah thank you for having me and great to see you Thank you for
1: listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.